Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everybody, and welcome into Commanding the Huddle. I am your host, as always, Ryan Fowler from the Draft Network. I hope your week is going well. Wanted to jump in and start out today's topics with something I talked about a couple pods ago when I spoke on players that I was expecting more of on the defensive side of the ball for the Commanders this season. I wanted to jump over to the offensive side of the ball to start off today. And there's two players that come to mind specifically on the offensive side. And start on the offensive line with Sadiq Charles. Talent out of LSU, when initially looked upon as the guy that Washington thought that was going to be able to replace Trent Williams when he departed from San Francisco just a couple of years. Big, heavy-footed tackle that was able to slide in right away when Washington drafted him. That's That was the initially, you know, the thought surrounding Sadiq. And just over the last couple of years, they've enjoyed a heavy shuffle of offensive tackles out at that left tackle spot, Charles Leno. Cornelius Lucas, when they plugged in Sadiq Charles the last few years, whether it was in camp in the preseason, they shuffled in Jerron Christian. I know some of you remember that name. He's earned himself a bevy of contracts around the NFL over the last couple of years after Washington drafted him out of Louisville. So when you look at Sadiq Charles and this year and where he projects himself and trying to work into snaps for a guy that was thought upon to be that Trent Williams replacement. Now, that hasn't worked out that way. They brought in Leno. They have Lucas as that swing tackle. So when you look at Charles and what he can offer as a guard, and that's where he projects best this year, if anyone in the interior is to go out with an injury, whether it's Andrew Norwell at left guard or Wes Schweitzer outside at right guard on the opposite side, Sadiq Charles is a guy that because of that fluidity that he had in his lower half initially coming out of LSU and the prowess that he showed defending against some of the top you know, edge rushers in the country in the SEC at LSU, sliding inside to guard and because of his feet and they are so heavy, um, you know, those, those wide, thick ankles that he has kind of a sticky lower half as a guard. And that's one of the reasons why he wasn't able to succeed as a tackle at the NFL level. But you project him inside, and it's even funny thinking back to when, I know you all remember when Washington initially you know, tinkered with throwing Trent Williams inside and placing him at left guard when they had a hole there before Eric Flowers was signed. But with Sadiq Charles being that depth guy right now in the interior and at center, you know they have Tyler Larson and Keith Ishmael behind Chase Roulier. But at right guard, it's Wes Schweitzer and it's Shaq Calhoun. You know, UDFA out of Mississippi State coming in to his second year. So the depth really isn't there on the interior. And considering the fact that the injury bug has been a consistent threat for Washington over the last couple of years along the front five and spanning outward into the perimeter of the offense, as we saw the injuries to Logan Thomas and Curtis Samuel last year, Sadiq Charles may have an opportunity to earn a potential, not a major role, but have a substantial role as that swing guard to if someone like Norwell or Schweitzer were to miss time, projecting his ability inside as both a mover in the run game and a guy that showed the ability in college just a few seasons ago to holster against speed rushers, power rushers, 
and be able to counter the counters from defensive linemen. Now, I think the biggest area for improvement for him, especially working within the interior, whether he's facing a 3-4 nose or he's facing a 4-3-1 or 3-tech defensive tackle, guys like John Allen, him being able to holster and really dig his cleats in the ground against guys that are 310, 315 pounds or face a guy that's 290, 295 pounds with that extra quickness on the inside. But the biggest thing for him is that having someone to his left shoulder, having somebody to his right shoulder, and if you project him right now, say throw him at right guard if Schweitzer is to miss time, you have Chase Rullier to your left and Sam Cosme to your right, who showed a lot of pop last year when healthy as one of the better young tackles in football. And Washington got him on day two. So I'm expecting a lot out of Sadiq Charles this year because I think he will have an opportunity to come in during the regular season and earn some snaps. And just based off the last couple of years, whether it be training camp battles where he's earned an opportunity to work against a, you know, the fearsome guys along that front four and working against Payne and Allen and then out on the outside when he came in as a tackle, uh, you know, against Montez Sweat and Chase Young over the last two years or so, that versatility will help him because his skill set will be diversified both as a tackle and a guard, but his snaps will come as a guard. There will be no point in time where he's thrown in as you know that blindside protective for Carson Wentz this year, that armside protective if Sam Cosme were to go out. So Sadiq Charles is a guy that has that versatility along the front three and will be looked upon as somebody if somebody were to go out to come in and have that immediate impact. And if he's unable to, I don't think he makes the roster this summer and he's going to be looking for work come this fall. And I'm not sure right now, you know, the multiple years of development that Washington had used already on him. And again, I talk about it a lot, but John Metzko, offensive line coach, is one of the best in football. And if you're not able to succeed on a guy like that with the skill set that you thought that, you know, Sadiq Charles had coming out of LSU, it's a tough uh, you know, projection to make for, for a pro and a young guy along the interior because he can't fit at tackle. If he slides into guard and his feet don't improve, his hands don't improve, doesn't have the necessary stamina to play a healthy amount of snaps, he's going to be looking for work. So a guy like City Charles is definitely, you know, on my uh, on my list of guys I'm expecting to see a lot in OTAs, training camp, and the preseason as a guy that, that could be a major depth piece for this offense moving forward. And then I want to jump to the outside for a guy that we're all excited to see in year two, and that's Deami Brown, receiver of North Carolina that Washington drafted last year on day two. And he's an exciting playmaker. And for North Carolina's offense in 2020, he was Sam Howell's number one target. It was he, Daz Newsome, and in the backfield, they had Javante Williams and Michael Carter and a good offensive line. And Deami Brown was that dude for the Tar Heels offense. And Coming into Washington last year, he kind of, you know, initially was looked upon as wide receiver three. They brought in Curtis Samuel to be that wide receiver two, yes, opposite of Terry McLaurin, but also that chess piece to where he's moving in the backfield and he's in the slot and motioning and doing a lot of pre-snap stuff that offensive coordinator Scott Turner likes to do within his offense. But for Deami Brown, and Washington has used draft assets in the past to take guys on the perimeter that can make plays. They selected Dax Milne in the seventh round last year. They took Antonio Gandy-Golden in the fourth round from Liberty, a big 6'4 kid that has yet to work out. They drafted Kelvin Harmon, who they expect back this year, who's a name that's kind of flown under the radar because he missed all last year with a with an ACL before the season even started. So those all those guys are expected 
you know, to be back. And they released Gandy Golden, but he's supposed to be on the practice squad and maybe fight for some snaps this fall. But when you have a guy like Terry McLaurin, and most likely you're expected to take a receiver sometime, you know, maybe more than one guy in this draft class. And I talked a little bit about that in the last pod when I did a full seven-round mock for the Commanders on the pod that released on Monday. But Deami Brown has a lot of expectations heading into year two, especially working with a guy like Carson Wentz who's going to be able to sling it down the field. I don't think he's going to be that burner like Terry McLaurin can be, like Curtis Samuel can be on that third level of the defense and really taking the top off of the opposing secondary. But working those intermediate areas of the field and a guy that when he gets the ball in his hands has that necessary foot speed to create after the catch and make guys miss. Not the biggest guy in the world, but having that contact balance and that vision and open space that he showed at Carolina in year two within an offense where Terry McLaurin needs some help opposite him. If Curtis Samuel's not able to stay healthy and people are able to pin their beers back and get after Carson Wentz because teams are consistently doubling or bracketing Terry McLaurin and Deami Brown's not getting open a one-on-one coverage against the team's CB3 or CB4, you know, these guys that other teams draft in the fifth, sixth, or seventh rounds are bringing as UDFAs, you know, that's an issue. And you use a day two pick on Deami Brown. And there's a lot of expectations, simply the fact that the NFL is a not for long league. And we all know that. And it's a what have you done for me lately league as well. And looking back to last year, he suffered injuries, but he was on the field. You know, he looks the part. You know, you look at him in a jersey, you're like, man, that kid can play. You look at the film in North Carolina, that kid can play. But the NFL is a different ball game. You know, working against opposing secondaries, corners, safeties, whether they're, you know, running press man and they're, you know, putting their in their hand in their in your breastplate and then bailing, or they're just in zone and allowing you to work the underneath areas and then coming down and trying to finish through your hands when you're trying to catch the ball. He's gotta be able to get some comfortability within Scott Turner's offense. And that will come with targets, that will come with snaps, that will come with reps. But the best ability is availability. And I know it's probably a cliche saying, right? We've heard it all the time. But for Deami Brown in year two, the expectations are there. Considering the window for success for this offense because their quarterback for now, whether Wentz is here past this year remains to be seen, considering you know the lay of the land for, for how the Burgundy and Gold has addressed the quarterback position in years prior. But Carson Wentz is a quarterback that's coming in here basically on a prove-it deal. And whether he's trying to you know, be the franchise guy for the next few years in, in D.C. or trying to find him a spot elsewhere, this could be a make it or break it year for him. Ron Rivera's entering year three, you know, two consecutive sub-500 campaigns. This could be a make it or break it year for him. And whenever we have you know, instances where offensive coordinators change or head coach changes or quarterback changes, you have a different regime. And looking at a guy like Brown, who is now in year two, under the Rivera regime, this is a major, major season for him, not just for the immediate projection of his career. No one's asking him to come in and be wide receiver one this year, but when a team expends a day two pick on you, they have expectations for you, and you got to stay healthy, and you got to have an impact on the outside, and the offense that I expect Scott Turner to run with a healthy balance of a run and pass, almost a little bit of run and gun this year is what I expect. Or Carson Wentz will sling the ball 34, you know, 35, 40 times, potentially some games. He should have, you know, garner some targets where he has maybe seven, eight targets a game. And he should have games where he's able to top, you know, the century mark when teams really want to key in on, on Terry McLaurin. But if the team goes out on day one and they take a Jameson Williams or a Chris Olave and that slides Brown down to now wide receiver four, 
and he's fighting for snaps with Harmon and Gandy Golden and Dax Milne and Cam Sims. And, you know, it remains to be seen what they want to do with a guy like DeAndre Carter. And you expect Antonio Gibson to have a role in the passing game. And J.D. McKissick is coming on third downs. You kind of see my trend here to where snaps are going to be hard to come by. It's not like where he's at Carolina and he comes in as a top recruit and he's wide receiver one right away. You know, he's now in the NFL and Washington, obviously, you can't, I can't sit here and compare their receiving core to Los Angeles. So, you know, with, with Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. But these are the things where for a guy like Brown on day two, he has expectations. He's got to live up to those. He's got to stay healthy, stay on the field and compete. And I think to all, that's all what Ron Rivera wants these guys to do is to come in and compete their tails off. And I think John Brown will do that. I think he'll stay healthy and give Terry McLaurin some help. Curtis Samuel should stay healthy, make Carson Wentz comfortable within that pocket. So I'm really interested to see some things from both Sadiq Charles along the interior this year and the impact that Deami Brown has on the outside. And real quickly, I wanted to jump in with Twitter going crazy over these last couple days from the draft standpoint. And when it comes to Notre Dame safety, Kyle Hamilton, and I tweeted about it a little bit ago. And the slander towards Kyle Hamilton and his game is really is mind-boggling, to be completely honest with you. And I'm, and I'm not sure where... I know people like to stir up things. Rumors are, you know, how we live nowadays. Everyone loves rumors. Um, for, for a guy like Kyle Hamilton, um, the, the for me, clear BPA, best player available in this draft on either side of the ball, highest floor, highest ceiling as a prospect in this class, it looks to be like Derwin James all over again. If you guys don't remember, he slipped to number 17 to the Chargers just a few years ago in 2018 when Washington took Deron Payne in that draft. And the conversation even in that draft was, do, does Washington go Payne or does it go Derwin James? And I think it, it's worked out fine with Deron Payne. I think he's been fine. Has he been Derwin James level of play? No. Did he miss a whole season like Derwin did? No. But... Looking towards Kyle Hamilton this year and now people sliding him out of the top 10, please let him slide out of the top 10 and fall to Washington at 11. Putting Kyle Hamilton as the back end safety with Cam Curl and you have that front and the guys that they make add at the second level of that defense with Jack Del Rio and what he wants to do schematically, good luck. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm being completely honest, but the slander towards Kyle Hamilton, his game, and the fact that he ran in the four sevens at his at Notre Dame's pro day after running in the mid four fives at the combine, if you're basing your evaluation on a player, whether it's Kyle Hamilton or anybody else, if you're basing your evaluation on a player, your scouting process, everyone has their own process, I get that. But if you're basing your evaluation on a player, because of his 40-yard dash that he ran at a pro day. After seeing the things on film that Kyle Hamilton was able to do within a Notre Dame defense that consistently lost players due to injury via the draft over the last couple years, he was the constant in that defense before he got injured. And you turn on that tape and see what he did at the back end, he had an impact, a high impact, at every single level of the Fighting Irish defense. And if you're trying to project that guy to fall... (laughs) out of the top 10 and potentially to a team like Washington at 11 because he ran a 4-7 at his pro day. I'm sorry, but you're lost. 
and your process is skewed. And if you're Ron Rivera and if you're Martin Mayhew and you're Marty Herney and you're the, you know, the people making the decisions inside that war room in Ashburn come round one in Vegas, you pray that Kyle Hamilton will slip to you at 11. Because it's really a joke. The draft needs to hurry up. These, the rumors, the skeptics, it's, it really is ridiculous. So I had to adjust that just real quick. And the slander towards Kyle Hamilton is, is really hilarious. So, but I want to get back on track here and following the stuff that we heard just a few days ago with Cole Holcomb potentially lining up at Mike for Washington's defense and throwing out some options in this draft because obviously they're not going to, uh, you know, address it in free agency as of right now. Again, we know Rivera likes to strike in that wave three, four, five of free agency, but a few names I want you guys to look out for in this draft class. And yesterday, or excuse me, our, you know, our last pod, I did the mock and you'll see who I added in the second round. You know, he's not a typical Mike backer, but he's able to do a lot of things at the second level. And I want to kind of focus in on those poster child Mike linebackers in this class. And I want to start it out with Nakobe Dean, uh, middle linebacker from Georgia. And he's another guy that does a lot of different things. But if there's one guy that would fit what Washington likes to do in the middle in this entire class, now granted, they will not take him at 11. Um, If they trade back and they want to trade back to the low 20s or even mid 20s and grab a guy like Dean who's projected to now end up possibly at the end of the first round, you know, that's where I see him going. Our scouts at TDN, you know, see him falling, uh, put it to like a team like Detroit with a 32nd overall pick. Um, but he is a pure nucleus defender. And you saw the success that he had at Georgia working behind guys like Jordan Davis and Devontae Wyatt and Trayvon Walker. The names go on and on and on. He had guys to the outside of him in Quay Walker and Channing Tindall and sub packages. And he had guys like Lewis Sign coming down to play that robber spot from the safety position. But you look at Nicobe Dean in Washington and they have those front four pieces and he's going to be able to anchor guys like Jamin Davis and Cole Holcomb so they can run around and make plays, whether they're chasing guys from the backside or, or blitzing. And, and Georgia did a lot of aggressive things with their backers. And considering the fact what Nicobe Dean does so well and projecting him alongside Davis and Holcomb, whether Del Rio wants to do some stuff where he does run typical three linebacker sets. We saw that at the end of the year last year when David Mayo, good God, was playing middle linebacker and Jamin Davis was on the outside and Cole Holcomb opposite, or he just wants to run those those um, you know, standard two linebacker sets they like to run on, on passing downs. And he asks Nicobe Dean to cover, or he just brings in Davis and Holcomb because now they're going to be in year two and he has Dean kind of take uh, you know a quote-unquote break for, for a couple of downs. But he does a lot of things well and being able to fill certain gaps while Deron Payne, John Allen in the middle are eating up double teams, Chase Young's pushing the pocket, Montez Sweat is making plays. He's just going to be able to fill and be a tackling machine, but not just be a tackle machine because Washington had that with John Bostic. He made tackles. If they just wanted that, John Bostic will still be you know, in uniform and under contract, but we obviously know he's not. But a guy like Dean who has those fresh legs, who has that, that physical impact, that ability to also drop his hips, and work in coverage over tight ends. He's not the biggest guy in the world. He's under you know under six feet tall, but he can do a lot of different things for you on the defensive side of the ball that Jack Del Rio asked his backers to do. So the scariest thing last year was seeing David Mayo work at middle linebacker, almost stealing snaps from Holcomb, stealing snacks, you know, snaps from from Jamin Davis, and that was a that was super super worrisome considering the fact that Washington also at times 
had Jamin Davis working as a wide nine rusher, similar to what the Cowboys did with Micah Parsons towards the end of the year and will do this year as a primary edge guy and allow him to just pin his ears back and, and push the pocket. But Nicobe Dean in the middle of that defense, and now you have your three backers that you that you know can do everything. Holcomb can cover, Davis can cover, Dean can cover, and then you know that they're athletes as well to work downhill, fill gaps in the run game, and get a bunch of TFLs and make some plays for you. So if you're Washington, you know, and you look at their middle linebacker board, I'm sure Nicobe Dean is up there at number one. But number two slot is Devin Lloyd, linebacker from Utah. And this is a perfect example for some of you, if you haven't seen Devin Lloyd's films, I'm sure you know who Nicobe Dean is, you know, the national champs from Georgia, and you've seen him plenty. But don't scout the decal on the helmet. Scout the player. And Devin Lloyd is a guy that will come in and be that immediate um, centerpiece for the second level of a defense and that immediate green dot to where you know he'll be able to holster the play calling duties within the middle. And I know Cole Holcomb kind of tinkered with that a little bit last year. I remember in training camp, they were talking about Jamin Davis doing some of that. But Devin Lloyd did that for multiple years at Utah. He was an All-American. And he wasn't working with guys around him that were ACC, SEC, Power 5 talents. Like, you know, the major Power 5s. Because, you know, no disrespect to the Pac-12. And Utah has a heck of a program out there in the mountains. But Devin Lloyd, within Washington's defense presents a very, very intriguing, veteran, almost mature option right away. And does he offer the athletic upside that Nicobe Dean does or Davis or Holcomb? He doesn't. Um, but this is a guy that is mature to the game now. I'm not sure how much more he can get better. I'm not sure his best football is three, four years down the road. I think he's playing his best football now. And the more he gets accustomed to the speed of the NFL game, he will have that immediate day one impact by no means am I saying that Devin Lloyd is the best version right now of himself I just look at him what he did at Utah and projecting his ability similarly with a linebacker class where the day two value is you know skyrocketing through the roof it's been him and Nicobe Dean for you know throughout this whole entire draft cycle as the two linebackers the poster childs of this class and I think Devin Lloyd's gonna be a heck of a pro I think there's a high chance that he potentially goes to a team like Philadelphia. I'm not sure they take him in the first round, but you know, right now I think his draft projection is is right there, early second round. So for teams like potentially Washington, 15 picks into the second round at 47, you know, that is potentially an option if they're interested in grabbing a guy right now that will have that immediate impact along that defense and a guy that's smooth downhill, can run sideline to sideline, will be able to come in and holster that green dot responsibility, which is a major responsibility. It's rarely ever given to rookies. I believe Ron Rivera gave it to Thomas Davis for one of the first times when when he was in Carolina as a, as a rookie. So that's a huge responsibility along a 4-3 defense and a defense that, you know has a lot of expectations this fall. So, you know, Devin Lloyd and Kobe Dean are the two poster childs of this class and kind of projecting both of their fits you know in Washington as two supreme athletes and NFL ready games right now uh, if one of them were to slip and Washington even even you know projecting them back in the second round to come back up a little bit five six seven picks if they're really high on one of those two would be a, a home run selection um, and for immediate impact mill linebacker for Washington on Sundays. Now, I wouldn't be surprised on the opposite side of of that coin of you know them taking a guy that's not that typical middle linebacker. 
um, like a Quay Walker or Nicobe Dean's teammate and Quay Walker's teammate and Channing Tindall out of Georgia, or they go back even further into the you know, 47s of round two or into round three, even though they ha- don't have a third round pick, but if they trade back and they like a Jojo Doman from Nebraska, or they think they can grab a Chad Muma from Wyoming, and I don't think Chad will last that long, but, or Troy Anderson from Montana State, who any of you that follow me on social media, you know how much I like me some Troy Anderson, you know, Montana State Bobcat, All-American on the offensive side of the ball and then All-American on the defensive side of the ball. There's not a more versatile player in this entire class on either side of the football. But those guys, you know, Anderson, Doman, and Muma, um, Doman and Muma are actually two former safeties, and they will be able to offer you a little bit more versatility uh, along that second level. And it's not a discredit to, to Dean or Lloyd, but guys that do a little bit a little bit more and offer you a little bit more in coverage, considering the fact what they like to do with Landon Collins last year in that Buffalo nickel role. Um, now, again, this also goes back to the conversation with Kyle Hamilton at 11. You had a guy like Hamilton, and that role for Buffalo nickel is is given to Hamilton. And you got Cam Curl and Bobby McCain starting as your safeties and just allowing Kyle Hamilton to do everything at every different level um, would be just grand slam, one of the best selections that Washington would probably have uh, in the last you know, turn of the millennium, to be completely honest. But, Mo, you know, Muma, Doman, Anderson, guys that have that hybrid versatility, they can align wherever you want them on the line of scrimmage, dropping back, potentially working at the third level if they want to run some unique cover three looks, having linebackers scoot out and cover running backs or tight ends and man, work over the the receiver and chip them before they hit the second level. Just do a lot of different things with guys like that. So there's a lot of linebacker depth in this class and especially when Washington needs somebody within the middle and you know Davis will start and you know Holcomb will start, but Del Rio asks a lot of them and the tread is going to you know have to stay fresh with younger guys. And I think that's, um, you know, Davis and Holcomb have, excellent athletes and they saw last year they were able to stay on the field when healthy and, and have that necessary get up and go you know when they're on the field for 75 80 85 percent of the defensive snaps but adding that hybrid versatility of anderson Muma, or doman and doing a lot of those different things offers you chess pieces within the defense that every single defense nowadays has and that's what that buffalo nickel roll can do as well so just a lot of names to look at from the linebacker spot and whether you want that that, that bona fide middle linebacker, London Fletcher, Brian Erlacher, Ray Lewis role. You know, the linebacker position has changed over the years. Guys are getting faster, stronger, lighter at the position. Or you want that versatile linebacker piece to come in and so you can allow Holcomb and Davis to run two linebacker sets and have Anderson and Muma Doman being able to do a lot of different things from a coverage standpoint, filling in the run or running sideline to sideline, offering just these unique defensive looks for Jack Del Rio's defense. So that is going to do it for today's episode of Commanding the Huddle. As always, wanted to thank you guys for tuning in. Please like, share, subscribe, review, wherever you get your podcasts, your news, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, you can find us there. On social media, on Twitter, you can find me at underscore Ryan Fowler. Again, as always, I greatly appreciate you tuning in, and I will see you next time on Commanding the Huddle. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.